0: As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word.
1: Thank you for coming to church. Appreciate your attendance. I hope I can be a blessing with the sermon So for some time at my church, I have been doing an in-depth study on the offerings, and uh, it really has grown um, in my studies, and and when I was asked to come here, I immediately was settled without even knowing, uh, you know, for sure how many he'd have me do. I was immediately settled on what I'd be dealing with, and uh, so I'm going to look today at the five acts of the offerer um, out of Leviticus chapter number one. And when the the preacher says, I'm going to preach on the offerings and Leviticus, people start getting ready to take a nap. But if you'll hang with me, I believe you might get a blessing out of it. I hope so. Uh, However, when you read after men like um, Edersheim, who was a Jewish scholar, uh, that became a believer, uh, and he had an in-depth understanding of how the Jews did things. He, he gives insight on how the Jews and the priests and the rabbis, how they define stuff. They were all about defining stuff. They give things names like a cup. It would have a name, uh, and, and they were all about that. And uh, he taught that the rabbis would give five acts of the offerer and five acts of the priest in the offerings. And as my wife was singing that that last song, when I knelt the blood fell, that's in reference to the blood of Jesus Christ. Does this congregation agree? Okay, so the blood of Jesus Christ is that which washed away my sins. In order for that to mean anything. In order for Calvary, which is the central focal point of all faith, y'all agree? Remove Calvary, we're all going to hell, amen? There is no Calvary, there is no death on the cross, there is no Jesus dying for your sins and my sins. This is just a gathering of people for, I don't know, uh, support. And there is no significance outside of Calvary. However, in order for Calvary to mean anything, In order for Calvary to be more than just a good man dying, there must be a pre-established concept that one thing can give itself in place of another. So one thing must be able to pay a price in place of another. And if that does not happen, then the other must pay its own price. That concept was established in the Old Testament. It goes all the way back to, actually, Genesis. In Leviticus chapter 1, you're beginning the understanding of the established Levitical offerings. You, are, you have five offerings, and this is the first one. In Leviticus chapter 1, starting in verse number 4, Uh, Of course, if y'all want to back up and read the rest of it by yourself, you can, but in verse number four, this is the burnt offering, and I'm going to be dealing with just the concept of the five acts of the offerer, and I believe this will come into focus in a minute. Uh, The offerer is he, in verse four, and he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So we understand then that there is a person who is an offerer. He's bringing a sacrifice, and that sacrifice is going to be offered, and it shall be accepted for him, the offerer, the man that's bringing it. Verse 5, he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priest, Aaron's son, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar, that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. He shall flay the burnt offering and cut it in pieces. And the sons and uh, the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, and the order upon the wood. Uh, That is, on uh, the fire which is upon the altar, and his inwards, his legs, shall he wash in water, that he again is the offerer. And the priest shall burn all on the altar to be burnt sacrifice and offering, made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now, when you read this, Brother Tim, that's Jewish, it sure is. Uh, We don't do this. No, we do not. Uh, How does that apply? Well, you go to the New Testament. And when you go to the New Testament, we must agree the New Testament does apply. So everybody in here, whether you're saved or lost, it matters not. The New Testament most certainly does absolutely directly apply to you. And you need to be saved under a new covenant. Amen. And if you are not saved under that new covenant, then you are in your sins and you're going to die lost without God. You need to be saved. Provision has been made whereby you do not have to die in your sins. You can be saved. Go to heaven. Amen. When you leave this life. And so you go to the New Testament and you can build a foundation for typology in the New Testament. Uh, Without question, the Lord Jesus fulfills the requirements and the figure of the burnt offering. Uh, John himself introduced Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Right here in Leviticus chapter 1, when a man wanted to make an offering, he had three options. He could use a bullock, he could use a sheep, or he could use a, a bird, a dove, and that was all dependent upon his financial status what he could afford to do, you understand. If he could, didn't have a bullock and he had a sheep, he'd use a sheep. If he didn't have a sheep and he could get a bird, he'd use a bird, depending on what he could afford. And that teaches that there has been provision made for all people of all status. It matters not if you're rich or poor. It matters not if you're educated or uneducated. Jesus died for you. You can be saved, amen. So John introduced him as the Lamb of God. The whole concept of Jesus being called the Lamb of God is the idea that Jesus is a sacrifice. Remove that concept and we cannot be saved. Jesus is a sacrifice, amen. All right, this is introductory. And so John introduced him as the Lamb of God. Now, in the book of Hebrews, and sis, if you want to put it up, that'd be all right. Hebrews 9, verse 12, I don't know how quick you are, probably quicker than me. The sis in the back. I'm going to call her sis. Yes, making sure they didn't change out the office of the guy back there, and I'm calling him sis, wouldn't it? Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 12, and again, I'm building my thought, and then I'm going to run through my sermon. But in Hebrews 9 and verse number 12, here's what we're told. This is a link between Old Testament Levitical offering and New Testament covenant. Watch this. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What about that? For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ? And so there is absolutely without refute, there is a direct New Testament tie and link between the blood of Jesus Christ and the blood of the Old Testament offering. Amen. That means in our present day, Jesus Christ is our Old Testament sacrifice. And he has replaced those temporary Old Testament sacrifices of sheep and bulls and goats and birds. Jesus replaced all of that because, and I could shout up a storm here, because those were temporary Jesus is our eternal forever sacrifice, amen. His blood is eternal, and I am saved forever because my sacrifice is eternal, amen. Amen? All right, then, we understand that uh, there in Hebrews 12, 9, 12 through 14. Moreover, Hebrews 9, uh, verse 23, if you want to get that, sister, and then I'm going to run. Good luck catching up. Uh, uh, Verse 23 tells us, it was therefore necessary. Now, y'all listen to what Hebrews says. It was necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Verse 24, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. This is, this is all telling you and me that Jesus only had to die one time. It ain't over and over and over. It's one time. He did die one time. Can I just... Take a curb here and say he ain't never going to die again. When he comes back, he's not coming back meek. He's coming back as the king, amen. He gave his life once, it's eternal. It says, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him, he shall appear, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. All I've done is I have built a solid foundation to preach to you that the Old Testament burnt offering is a picture, a figure, a type of Jesus that was to come. And they established the concept that one thing must die for another thing if that other thing is forgiven for sin. Amen. Old Testament, all right? So you go back to Leviticus chapter number one, uh, and if you want to, you can back up to verse number two. I want to identify the offerer. Now, in every offering, and, and now I think that I'm going to get in a place to where everybody get a hold of this. Uh, those of you that are here uh, that maybe don't have some Bible knowledge understand that what they would literally do is take an animal, kill that animal, offer that animal's blood, and buy the things that they did that was wrong would be rolled forward or they would be forgiven or... Really, it's not forgiven. It's atoned for, uh, which rolled forward until Jesus come, but I don't want to hash that out. Uh, but in any way, you need to understand just the basics and say, bring an animal. Let's use a lamb, kill it, do a certain thing that they had to do with it, offer it to God, By that, what they had did, and what they had done as sin would be forgiven, all right? Now, I want to deal with the identity of the offerer. There are three involved. There's the offerer, that's the person that brings it. There's the offering, that's the animal sacrifice, and there's the priest. I'm dealing with the offerer, the person that brings the sacrifice, all right? I want to show you the identity is seen in the need. In Leviticus 1, 2, speaking to the children of Israel and saying to them, if any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. So this person is bringing an offering to the Lord. I want to do it with the identity that is seen in the need. If you go to the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 6, Micah says, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Then in verse 7, he says, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn, pay attention, for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Now, Micah establishes the whole point of bringing... A burnt offering. Why should I bring a lamb to God? Why? Why should I bring a bullock to God? Why? Micah says it's because you have committed a transgression. Now I'm going to preach to you because we're living in a time where nobody will submit they ever done anything wrong. If nobody's done anything wrong, there's no point in anything dying for you. When a man gets up and preaches to you what the Bible says and you're guilty, you ought to deal with your guilt and you're wrong because you're wrong, amen. And something has died for you in your place so that you wouldn't suffer for your wrong. There's been provision made whereby judgment does not have to be applied to you, amen. You do not have to face judgment. Jesus died in your place, amen. And so Micah says it's for transgression. Transgression. What is transgression? What does that mean when I transgress? Here's what it means. It means a line has been drawn. Perhaps in the sand, a line has been drawn. And the one that drew the line said, don't cross that. Don't you ever cross that line. Right there's the border, right there's the line. If you go over that line, that's a transgression. You broke the command that I gave you, don't do this. If you do this, you are a transgressor. Whether a man agrees with that or not is irrelevant. Because it's not up to me, it's not up to you to determine whether or not I'm a transgressor. It's up to the one that drew the line in the sand. The one that made the line and said, don't cross it, is the one that says, if you cross it, you are now a transgressor. That's what you are you cross the line, you're a transgressor. And so God said, thou shalt not. That means don't. Don't. And if you do, you're a transgressor. Amen. If you do, you transgressed my law. You went past what I said you could or could not do. Micah says when you do that, it becomes the sin of your soul. The sin of your soul means that your soul is now judged. Your soul is now condemned because you're now a transgressor. We call ourselves, when we're lost, sinners. But in all honesty, we are transgressors, and that makes us sinners. What we've done is we have went beyond a boundary that God has established. God said, don't do it. Now, I ask everybody in here, have you ever done one thing ever in your whole life one time Have you done one thing that went against the Ten Commandments? How many in here would like to testify with Brother Tim, I have broken at least one of the Ten Commandments? Guess what you became the moment you did it? A transgressor. Guess what God sees you as? I know what the world tells you, that God looks at all mankind and God just loves everybody. Everybody. there's a problem with that. That's not Bible. The Bible does not say, for God so loves the world. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. That's the sacrifice. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And so what happens here is this offer says, oh my, I have transgressed. I have done something. I have broken the law. God told me, don't do it. And I did it. And now I'm going to pay for what I've done. Unless something dies in my place, I'm going to pay for what I have done. I want to say to everybody in here, it matters not if you're saved or lost, we have all broken the law of God. Amen. We are all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. We have all failed God. We are all sinners and we are all, by definition of God Almighty himself, transgressors of the law. We are, in fact... You might think you're a good person, but you're deceived. You're not a good person. None of us is good. No, not one. Amen. Well, my children are good. Your children are going to lie without you teaching them how. Amen. They are. They're going to go get a cookie. They're going to eat the cookie. They was told, don't eat that cookie. You can't have that cookie. They're going to eat the cookie. Transgression. Then they're going to come to you, and they're going to have cookie on them. And you're going to say, did you eat a cookie? And they're going to say, no. And they're still chewing. And there's cookie falling off their back. That's a lot transgression. Are you all following? We're all sinners. Amen. We're all transgressors, not because of mom and dad and all of that. It's because we all have that sin nature. We break the law of God. There just ain't no man that's ever lived that's got the ability to keep the law of God. We can't do it. We're not strong enough to do it. Amen. And when we break one, if we ever break one, there ain't no do-over. You break one law one time and God says you are my enemy. You are now condemned by your transgression. You ever lie one time? Amen. You break the law one time. You break them once. You broke them all. Amen, congregation. And so because of that, we become transgressors. And when a man becomes a transgressor, he must then have an offering. And so the offerer brings the offering. Then we see the identity of the offerer cannot be Jesus. And I only say this briefly, I'm not going to delve into it, but some writers try to make Jesus the offerer, the offering and the priest. That's impossible. Why is that impossible? Jesus never transgressed. Not one time did Jesus Christ ever sin. I demand an agreement from the brethren. If that's not true, if we cannot emphatically state Jesus was sinless, Then we cannot be saved my salvation depends on Jesus being sinless amen if he ever sinned he would be no different than me and I cannot pay the sin debt with my blood because I'm sinful amen so it cannot be Jesus but I want to show you the identity is revealed willingly look at verse number 3 of Leviticus 1 verse number 3 and I'll get to my 5 and be done his offering if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd let him offer a male without blemish he shall offer it of his own voluntary will now y'all notice that nobody is making this man offer this this man has broken the law He's now a transgressor. He recognizes himself. I have transgressed. I've done wrong. Wouldn't that be refreshing? How many of y'all agree that'd be refreshing just to hear somebody say, I've done wrong. I'm wrong. The way I'm living is wrong. What I think is wrong, I'm wrong. I need to get right. That's why you can't get nobody to get right, because nobody thinks they're wrong. This man here says, I'm wrong. I need to offer an offering because I'm wrong. And this man brings it of his own voluntary will. Amen. So the one who makes the offering is one who readily accepts his or her need. They know they're guilty of transgressing the law of God. They have sinned. Amen. They have committed a crime against God and are condemned for that crime. Amen. Therefore, the offerer is one who understands they have transgressed God's law. Can I just make a point here If we don't believe, if you're here and you don't believe, I don't got to get right, I don't got to fix nothing, uh, you're missing the whole idea of church. Church ain't about you having a support group. Church ain't about you looking or or people thinking you're a Christian. Church is about coming in here and worshiping the only one that's worthy of worship. Amen. I think it's kind of funny. Brother Joe uh, said that uh, Paul wasn't going to get off. Uh, easy this morning because of what he said, and I actually intended to say, no, no, Paul, I'm going to preach about Jesus and about you today, and uh, move on. That was pretty good, right? Paul, it ain't, it ain't always got to be about you, son. I know you're the firstborn, but you, you know, son, amen. You're just a transgressor, boy, and amen. Have I ever shared with y'all how I was sitting across from Paul one night in church, and I had a man preaching, and Paul was sitting over here on this side of the aisle, and I was sitting here on this side of the aisle. That man was up there just preaching, just doing a great job, and I was going to say something to Paul about the sermon. It was really good. And I looked over at Paul, and I said, hey, hey, Paul. And I looked at him, and immediately I saw conviction was all over his face. And I looked at him, and I said, are you under conviction? Are you guilty? He goes, leave me alone, Dad. I said, God's dealing with you, ain't he? You ain't right. Leave me alone, dude. I said, well, go to the altar. Okay. And he got up and went to the altar and got right with God. And I laughed the whole time. It was hilarious. I'm like, look at you. Look at you. Amen. You know, if you don't want that to happen, stay right with God. But anyway, moving on. Amen. I thought about, the, you know, how that. When you come to church, see, and people say, well, now I'm going to come to church. One man used to tell a preacher, he said, uh, well, I've had it rough all week. Make me feel good. I can do that. I can help you feel good. Get right with God. There ain't Nothing feels better than being right with God. Amen. Amen. Church is a place where we come. And if you come in, well, you know, I don't think I need to fix nothing. I don't think I need to change nothing. Then you are very conceited about yourself, and you are very full of arrogance and pride, and that's a sin itself. Amen. I have to work on something every time I go to church. Every time I go to church, I'm saying, God, what do I need to work on? If David would look at God and say, search me, O God, see if there be any wicked way in me, Clean me up. Then who am I? Amen. To walk before the place of God, the presence of God, and to think in my arrogant self that I don't need to get right with God. In all honesty, there is always something that we need to work on. Amen. And the whole idea, the whole concept of church is to come before God and to become less of ourself and more like Christ as we live our life. Amen. And so the identity here is is the idea that you bring this willingly. It's not something you're forced to do. It is a shame. It is a shame that people have to be forced to serve God or they have to be guilted into serving God. How many of you today say, Brother Tim, I need to get closer to God. Amen. Preacher, I've got things I've failed God in this week, and I need to get them things fixed in my life. I want to be near God. I want God to use me, and I want to be blessed of God. Amen. Or I'm just here for a show. Well, that's pointless. Amen. That is completely pointless. So it's a willing offering. James chapter 2, verse 10, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend at one point is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law, New Testament. Did y'all hear that? James said it. James said, if you kill and you don't commit adultery, you're still a transgressor of the law. He said, you break them one, you broke them all. And so in my notes, I got this. I said, uh, uh, I want to ask you a question. Have you transgressed? Have you broken one of the ten? Have you ever been a false witness? Have you ever wanted or coveted something that belonged to somebody else? Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Have you ever took something that was not yours? If you have, you are a transgressor. We are all transgressors, Amen. So this man has transgressed, and he's bringing an offering to the priest because he's in trouble with God. And he knows it. I wonder what he did. I bet he coveted. I bet he saw something that wasn't his. He thought, I want that. And immediately when he wanted it and he coveted after it, something struck him and said, I, 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 that's wrong you can't do that and he thought oh no oh no God knows what I just did God knows what I just did I'm a transgressor I'm gonna die I'm a transgressor I'm gonna die immediately he goes out to his flock starts looking around I need to find a good one I need to find I need to find one without blemish I gotta find one that's perfect. I gotta find one that that is acceptable. And he finds a lamb. He brings that lamb to the priest. He does five things. This offer does five things. According to the rabbis of the present day, he does five things. First, he lays his hands on the head of the burnt offering. The rabbis view this as so. So, y'all picture this man that has transgressed. He's brought this animal up and he's got his hands. And everybody is looking at this man, and he's got his hands. He puts his hands on the head of that animal. Everybody's looking. Now, according to Edersheim, what that man does while he's got his hands on the head of that animal is out loud he calls out what he did. I have coveted. I have committed adultery. I have killed. I have taken God's name in vain. Out loud he tells everybody what he has done. And the rabbis say this is the act of transmission, the act of delegation, and the act of representation. What he's doing is he is literally taking his sins. Now, y'all catch on here. He's taking his sins. He is admitting they're his, which is blessing. I've offended. Taking his sins, and by putting his hands on the head of that animal and calling out what he has done, he is transferring his sins onto the head or the body or the life of that animal. This animal has done nothing wrong. This animal has never sinned. This animal has not transgressed. This animal represents perfection without spot, without blemish. This is an innocent lamb that has done nothing wrong. And this innocent lamb has been brought, and the sins of that man is now being transferred from him onto the animal itself. That animal is taking on it the sins of that man without ever having committed the sins of that man. And every one of us that are here today that's saved, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where somebody that did not sin became sin for me, took my sin on him. Amen. 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 All right, so we understand, uh, according to Edersheim, he says, properly speaking, the blood of the sinner should have been shed and body burned instead of those of the sacrifices because the sinner's the one that committed the sin. And it's for that reason every born-again child of God ought to walk into the house of God to worship God. Amen because we should have paid for our own sins. Amen. So we understand then the actions of the offer, the laying on of hands. Then the offerer slays the offering. Verse 5, he shall kill the bullock before the Lord. This is the offerer himself. The priest don't kill him. The offerer does the killing. He shall kill the bullock before the Lord. And then you get into the work of the priest in verse 5. So it's the offerer's fault that the offering dies. Let me repeat myself. It is the offerer's fault that the offerer dies. The one that brings the offering is the one that kills the offering. And the offerer kills the offering. It's his fault that the offerer dies. It ain't the Romans fault that the offerer dies. It ain't the Jews fault that the offerer dies. It's man's fault that the offerer dies. It's my fault that the offerer dies. Amen. I might as well have been the man that had the nail in his hand and the hammer in the other hand. I might as well have been the one that laid it in the palm of his hand as Jesus stretched his arm out. It might as well have been me that lifted the hammer and dropped it down on the head of that nail. Might as well have been me that drove it through his hand. Might as well have been me that took the spear and stuck it in the side of Christ because I'm the reason he died anyway. My fault. My fault. Your fault. I killed him. Wow. Amen. The offers, slaying of the offering. Verse 6, the skinning of the offering. I've already preached this at my church. The flaying of the burnt offering in verse 6, he shall flay the burnt offering, cut it into pieces. That is a picture of what they did to the body. Uh, you'll find the burnt offering is all about the body. You'll find the sin offering is about the blood, but the burnt offering is about the body, what happened to the body, and it had to be completely consumed, and I can't get into all of that. However, the flaying of it, the skinning of it, the flaying of it is a picture of all the things that happened to Jesus. Listen, uh, he could have just went to the cross. He did a lot more than go to the cross. He went to the whipping post. He shed his blood in the garden. Amen, he had the crown of thorns on his head. He didn't just go to the cross. As a matter of fact, I am absolutely 100% convinced. When you study how they would beat a prisoner, many people want to apply where the Lord Jesus was whipped. They want to apply that to Jewish law. So they'll say that Christ was beaten with the 39 save one stripes. But what y'all got to understand is the Jews ain't the one that whipped Jesus. The Romans are the ones that whipped Jesus. The Romans didn't have no such law. As a matter of fact, the way the Romans did it is that they would strap them down to the post. They'd have a man sitting there watching the vital signs of the prisoner. He'd watch them as they would beat the prisoner. And he'd watch his vital signs. And as long as the man was strong... The beating would continue. I believe that since Jesus was Jesus, there was no way he was going to die at the whipping post. Do y'all agree? Jesus had to go to Calvary. Do y'all agree? So they're beating him, but he's not dying. He's not even getting close to death. I am convinced that he took such a beating that when they brought him back out and Pilate saw him and saw the condition that he was in, that's why Pilate looked at the people and said, Behold the man, because he didn't even look like a man. You go to the book of Psalms 22. He says, "My bones are stare upon me." He said they pull the hair out of my face. Are y'all hearing me? They ripped him to shreds. A years ago, brother Shelton, brother Bobby Shelton preached black Hat at Calvary, and sister Betty Mundy painted the picture. And she called brother Bobby and she said, "Brother Bobby, what color was his eyes?" And brother Bobby said, "It don't matter." They couldn't see the color of his eyes for all the blood. Brother Bobby, uh, how did he look on his face? Well, they said, it don't matter how his facial features was. They ripped the height. I believe that Pilate thought, if y'all will look at what's just happened to this man, then you will let him go. He said, behold the man. Do you know what they said? Crucify him. Crucify him. Let his blood be on us and our children. Might as well have been me. Took the whip, ripped the hide right off of him. I'm the reason that he was flayed. You're the reason that he was flayed. Why, preacher? Because I transgressed. I transgressed. I did it. I'm guilty. Are you? I did it. It's my fault. I broke the law. Well, who says it's a law? The Creator? He's got the right to do so. I don't acknowledge the Creator. It don't matter what you acknowledge. And it's a wonderful thought, church, that Jesus died not only for us believers, but He died for those people that says that they don't acknowledge God. He died for them too. Amen. And if they trust Him, He saved their soul. Amen. I don't acknowledge God is still God. And He says, you're a transgressor. The skinning of the offering Verse number six, you also have the cutting up of the offering. Amen. Cutting into pieces. The division of it. Now you go to the book of Isaiah, I'm not going to linger here, but you go to Isaiah 53, you'll find that the suffering of Christ concerned not just his body, but his emotional state, uh, his physical state, even his spiritual state. Every portion of Christ suffered... When he died for our sins, his life was divided. Step by step by step, pieces was removed. I mean, from the Garden of Gethsemane, where they fled, to the house of the high priest, where Peter denied him, to the cross, where he looks at John the beloved and says, Behold, thy mother. Mother, behold thy son, and she left with John. Are you hearing me? Peace by peace by peace is divided from him all the way to the final peace. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And guess what you got left? Jesus is there completely alone. He's forsaken. Are y'all hearing me? Do you ever ask yourself, why did he say, I will never leave thee, I will never forsake thee? You ever thought about that? You know why? Because he knew that if he didn't die for you, you would be forsaken. Someday, if you die lost, you will be forsaken, you will go to hell. But if you'll trust Jesus as your savior, you will never be alone again. There will never be a moment in your life where he's not with you. He said, I'm with you all the way. Amen. He was forsaken so that you would never be forsaken. Are you getting it? And finally, and I'm done, you got the cutting up of the offering. Lastly, you have the washing. Verse 9, I don't think I read this earlier. Verse 9. His inwards, maybe I did, his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water. The priest shall burn all on the altar, and that's the actions of the priest. You'll note the man washing the legs. And to a Jew, it's all about purity, all the time, purity, purity, purity. Uh, They are so uh, obsessed with cleanliness and purity that all over the city of Jerusalem they had water pots. And if they walked across the court or they walked across the street, a, a, especially a rabbi, if you walked across the street and he bumped your elbow, and you being a gentile, he bumped your elbow, and he knew he bumped your elbow, uh, he would go to a water part and wash, which would be a very great insult to you. It wouldn't be to me. I'd be like, hey, I take a bath, right? But them Jews, they like, no, y'all are unclean, y'all you gentile dogs are unclean. I say, amen. I, I want to tell the Jews, you nailed it. Us Gentile dogs are so unclean. And there's that man, unclean. He sinned, transgressed. He has now killed something that didn't sin. He he has now divided it up. It didn't sin. This animal didn't do anything wrong. And uh, they would cut its throat. It would not make a sound. It would die, bleed out, shed every drop of its blood. And he would then, after they divided it, he would take it. And he had washed the parts that is uh, commanded to wash. And as he's washing the parts, there is one simple truth in his mind. This is about purity. It is a picture that this animal that is dying for me is pure. I'm not pure. It's pure. This is the sinless, guiltless, spotless lamb. I am not sinless, not guiltless, I'm not spotless. And I'm either going to have to pay for this transgression, or I'm going to have to ask this lamb to pay for it in my place. 2 Corinthians 5:21. You want to throw that up there? She said yes. 2 Corinthians 5. Twenty-one. Did y'all see that? Oh, there it is. Made him to be what? For who? Who knew no... Do you not realize, literally, it's saying Jesus was made a transgressor. And he never transgressed. Then the latter part, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Who's the righteousness of God? It's Jesus. He switched places. Are we in agreement? He switched places. So here we go. Here's the hard part of every sermon. Right here it is. Here it is. Invitation. Trying to get you to come willingly. Whether you're a believer or non-believer. If you're a believer and you've been saved and you're not where God wants you to be, you know good and well you ought to come along. And you are offering the same thing you offered when you got saved, amen, Jesus in your stead. As a matter of fact, believer, if it weren't for Jesus, we couldn't approach God, amen. And so, if we have sinned, we should confess our sins, amen, and he is just to forgive us our sins, amen, thank God for that. So here I am with an invitation. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody is here this morning and you are a transgressor? You are in fact a transgressor, and you recognize that. Well, I, I I I broke the law. I'm 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 guilty, preacher. I'm guilty. I broke the law. I did what God said don't do. I did. And instead of sitting there, well, it ain't that bad. It ain't that bad. It is. It's that bad. According to God, it's eternal. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm a transgressor. What do I do? Bring an offering. Who do I offer? You offer the one that hung on the cross. Do y'all not realize that's what you did when you got saved? Do you not realize when you come and you ask him to forgive you? You literally told the Father that I offer your son in my place. I accept what he did at Calvary as my substitution. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. I am the reason he died. He died for me. And I accept Jesus as my eternal offering. If You're lost today. You need to be saved. And if you're saved and you're not right with God, you need to come get right with God. And you say, preacher, it's complicated. That's the devil talking. It is so easy. It is so simple. Let's stand together all over the house.
0: Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord.